Welcome to 721 Live, the video arm of 721 Ministries. I'm Sam Hunter. I'm glad that you're with us today. Thank you for joining us. Do you have any blind spots? I don't think I do because I don't see them, and I guess that's the definition of a blind spot, but I know I do, and so do you. And so often these blind spots are areas in our lives that are negative, that, that they are bad habits, they are bad habits of the heart. And your Heavenly Father, who loves you perfectly, just the way you are, but way too much to leave you just the way you are, is going to reveal those blind spots to you. And he may do that by bringing tests and trials into your life. That's his purpose. That's what he's doing. So when Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, he's really saying lead us not into tests or trials. Let's tease that out. Let's understand exactly what he's saying. You stay tuned. We'll be right back. been on the Lord's Prayer for several weeks now, and for the last three weeks, this is our third week, looking at what Jesus is telling us, teaching us in the Lord's Prayer, which we, we call it the Disciples' Prayer, because it is our prayer that he gave to us, when he teaches us to say to our Heavenly Father, lead us not into temptation. And we've established that he is not saying that, he's saying lead us not, in, he's, he's teaching us to say lead us not into test. The word is the same in the Greek, but I just want you to well, of course, James says in chapter 1, God does not tempt. He's never tempted himself, nor does he ever tempt anyone. And that is, a, that is a great scripture passage as a proof text. But just stop for a moment and think about the character of your heavenly Father who loves you perfectly and is perfect. Would he ever be so flippant and capricious as to lead you into temptation, knowing it's going to be a struggle and knowing you will probably fail? Would any loving father or mother really do that with their beloved child? No, don't be ridiculous. So it's clearly tests and trials, but it reminds me when I think about the character of God, and that's something I encourage you to think more about instead of the details of exactly what's happening in your life and why would he allow this, think more in terms of his character. It reminds me of the little 10-year-old boy whose, whose father was a surgeon, and he was out on the playground and another boy came up to him during recess and said, you know, my father tells me that your dad uses knives and sticks people with them and cuts them up. And the little boy ponders that for a moment, and then he looks at, the, at his friend and he said, you know, my dad tells me he's a surgeon. I don't really know exactly what that means, but what I do know is this. My father's a good man. My father's a loving and caring man. So if he's cutting people up with knives, I can know that's for their best. And would it be that we all had that same understanding of our Heavenly Father's character? So I have on the screen here, uh, as our title, Lord's Prayer, Temptation or Test, a lightweight life will never produce heavyweight results. A lightweight life, a life that has no test, no trials, you're never going to produce heavyweight results. You'll never produce a heavyweight life without some heavyweight trials in your life. 
I've learned that. That's common sense. You know that as well as I. And that, that is what your Heavenly Father is all about when he either allows tests or trials, moves us into him purposely, or just lets us stumble into him, as has typically been the case with me, just stumble into my, into my own tests and trials because of my wayward self wanting to have my way. But here is the actual Greek word is parasmos, and it can mean temptation. It can also mean test. It's also the word that is used for the process of refining gold. And it captures perfectly this whole idea. Test refine us. Test reveal in us. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But I love this quotation from my friend Depp Bowers. Temptation usually enters through a door that it intentionally left open. Temptation usually enters through a door intentionally left open. Can I get an amen on that? Because we know that's true, don't we? We leave that door cracked. And why? Because we like that temptation. We like what it brings along. So we're not ready to slam the door on it just yet. We're going to leave that door intentionally open. It's a hard fact of life, but it is a true fact. And you know it as well as I. Well, your Heavenly Father, whom I've already said loves you perfectly just the way you are, loves you way too much to leave you just the way you are, and he will show you that that door is still open. He'll reveal that to you over, over time. And if you refuse to slam it shut yourself as a loving father, he'll slam it shut himself. And he'll do that with tests and trials. Temptation usually enters through a door intentionally left open, and that is exactly what we're talking about today. Now, now there's a scripture passage in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I, I memorized this way back when I was first born again and was memorizing scripture. It's probably familiar to you. The NIV version, no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you may stand up under it. That's the NIV version. And it uses that word temptation. Recently, I've been reading the Passion Translation, which is not perfect, like any of the translations. None of them are perfect. But he captures, the translator captures some verses just perfectly. And the Passion Translation of 1 Corinthians 10, 13, I think captures it perfectly. So let's take a look at that. We all experience times of testing, which is normal. See, testing instead of temptation. We all experience times of testing, which is normal for every human being. But God will be faithful to you. He will screen and filter the severity, nature, and timing of every test or trial you face so that you can bear it. And each test, and this is key, is an opportunity to trust him more. For along with every trial, God has provided for you a way of escape that will bring you out of it victoriously. I love that because that is exactly what these tests do. Your Heavenly Father allows them to come your way. He's always with you as you walk through those tests and those trials. And he's going to provide a way out. And it's going to give you the opportunity to grow in your trust. You see, this, this common word, parasmos, in the Greek, temptations and tests, it makes a lot of sense that the same word, because temptations, let me say it a different way, tests tempt us to doubt our Heavenly Father to doubt his character, to doubt his goodness, to doubt his perfect love, to doubt that he's with us all the time. And what I advise people when I'm talking about this, trials and tests tempt us to doubt Jesus. 
which is the same thing as trusting Satan. He's the evil one. Now, we're going to move next into the finale of the Lord's Prayer where Jesus says, and deliver us from the evil one. We're going to get to that. And one of the evil one's best techniques is to get you confused, to get you doubting. And when you doubt Jesus and his promises and your Heavenly Father's promises that they love you perfectly, they're always with you, they're in total control of your life. They're always going to bring good out of everything that happens in your life. When you doubt that, you, in fact, are trusting Satan because he is the one telling you not to believe that. So trials and tests do tempt us. They tempt us to react in fear or we can learn to respond in faith, in trust. They tempt us to react in fear, which usually means overreacting in fear or learning to respond in faith and trust. Why trials and tests? Because they reveal and refine us. I got that from a little book called The 57 Words That Changed the World. They reveal and refine us. They reveal those blind spots. And they refine us like gold, as we just said. It's the same word for that. So why tests, trials and tests? Because they reveal and they refine us. Now, there is a passage in Hebrews chapter 12 that just captures this whole idea of our Heavenly Father testing us, disciplining us, and it just, it, it's the quintessential, quintessential passage on this. So let's look at this Hebrews 12 passage together. Starting at verse 4, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Now, let me pause there for a moment. What the writer of Hebrews is saying, and the Holy Spirit is saying through the writer, is your Heavenly Father loves you, and so therefore He's going to discipline you. And, and would you not want Him to when you're going astray? You know, we read these studies, and when I was a child, I thought this, this, didn't make, this was not right, but we read these studies that children really do crave discipline. They want boundaries. They're not comfortable not having discipline and not having boundaries. Well, as children of our Heavenly Father, I want Him to discipline me. I don't want Him to put me on the bench. And sports being such a big part of my life, in basketball, to have a bad game and be put on the bench, it was nothing worse. I'd rather Him discipline me, keep me on the floor. And it does remind me of all my years of playing basketball. I was a point guard. And through church league, junior high school, high school, whenever the coaches fussed at me, whenever they yelled at me, they were correcting a bad habit. And they would typically say, as they yelled at me, and they could see maybe my face, that face becoming a little crestfallen, they would say, now, Sam, Sam, I'm only doing this because I know you can be better. I, I'm, gonna, I'm investing the time because I see you can be better, and I want to help you be better. At the time, I didn't appreciate that. But then I got to Clemson. And I was on the team. I did not have a scholarship. And the coaches never yelled at me. They never stopped practice to correct me because I wasn't really that important to them. They were nice men, and I still have good relationships with them after all these years. But that was not my point. My point is I was not important enough to be disciplined because I was not a scholarship player. I was not seeing any action. And I suddenly understood what those coaches have been saying to me all those, all those years. Sam, I, I love you. I see the better in you. I'm going to discipline you. And that's exactly what we see in this Hebrews passage. Let's keep reading. Verse 11. 
No discipline seems pleasant at the time. I'm glad the Holy Spirit acknowledges that. I'm glad the Holy Spirit doesn't say you ought to enjoy all discipline. I'm glad he recognizes no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, and here is the key verse. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. I like peace. I like a harvest of righteousness and peace. We all like that peace. We all would want that harvest of righteousness and peace. And in this passage, the Holy Spirit is telling us, you achieve that, you, get, you realize that in your life. You learn to live with that by being trained, by taking difficulties in life and using them to grow deeper with your Heavenly Father. You think about it. Jesus himself said, there will be trouble in this world. You're going to have trouble. You'll never avoid trouble. But, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So when we think about the way tests and trials come our way, we cannot avoid them altogether. We live in a world where there, it's going to come at us. But if we listened more to that Holy Spirit prompting, saying, Sam, that's a habit that needs to go. Be it a physical habit or a heart habit, that needs to go. If I listened to that conviction and got rid of it, there'd be no reason for my Heavenly Father to lead me into a test or a trial or to allow me to stumble into it on my own if I took that action myself. So we could avoid a lot of trials. Look back over your own life and think about the difficulties and what percentage of those difficulties did you, in fact, cause yourself. Yet they're still going to come our way. And as they come our way, we can shift our perspective and think about them in a different way. Instead of running away from them or trying to run through them to get to the other side, instead of maybe working our way through it, working out our way through it. I see people running and working out, trying to get through the stress in their lives, or drinking our way through it, or wine, women, and song, or however you want to think of it. We could actually embrace the tests and the trials and use them to be trained so that we end up with that harvest of peace and righteousness. So let's talk for just a moment about shifting our perspective. Hebrews 11.6 is a great statement, for without faith it is impossible to please God. Without trust, which tests bring, and they test our trust, it is impossible to please God. Our shift in our perspective is we have an opportunity to please and bring joy to our Heavenly Father. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe, must trust that he's, He exists, that He's real, and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. So in our first perspective shift, Let's think about the fact that we can please our Heavenly Father by showing that trust in Him. I mean, and after all, trust is the currency of relationships. If your child or your best friend or your wife or your husband trusts you, even when maybe it doesn't look like they should or it's not evident, that is an endearing thing. And it is the same with our Heavenly Father. So yes, we can bring peace pleasure, we can please, and we can bring joy to our Heavenly Father. That is, that is a great perspective shift. And I want to keep reminding you that the lightweight life is never going to produce heavyweight results. It will never produce a heavyweight life. And Peter learned this the last night with the disciples. Jesus says to Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Now he has to ask, we'll talk about that when we get to the story of Job, he has to ask, 
but he asks that he sift you like wheat, Jesus says. And Jesus then says, but I have prayed. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you, but he's speaking to Peter as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that, now, notice he doesn't say I will not allow him to do it. He's going to allow that test to come to, say, to Simon. He didn't say, I pray that it will not happen. No, I pray that your faith may not fail through this test. And when you have turned back and now become strong, you'll be able to strengthen your brothers. It's as if Jesus is saying to Peter, I need for you to be a heavyweight in the, in the expanding kingdom that I'm putting you in charge of and the other disciples, the other apostles. I need for you to be a heavyweight, Peter. And so I cannot protect you. From, I cannot leave you in a lightweight life. You've got to be tested. You've got to go through these trials to sift away the blind spots because I need you to be a heavyweight. So we're thinking about how do we shift our perspective. Another way is to think about using these tests and trials to know your Heavenly Father better, to know Jesus in a deeper way. You've probably experienced this in your own life. I certainly have. You go through a really hard time. And when you use it to get closer to Jesus, and there have been times in my life where the trial drug on, mainly because I was not learning what my Heavenly Father wanted to teach me, the trial drug on, and after a while, instead of continuing to ask him to change it, fix it, take this away from me, I finally said, don't change it. Don't change anything. Don't fix it until you teach me what it is you want to teach me until you get me where you want to get me. So the, the bittersweet memory of that test and that trial, the bitter part is the, is the pain, the difficulty. But the sweet part, and I've heard men say this over and over, I've said it myself, I hope you have, the sweetness is I wouldn't be as close to Jesus as I am now had I not gone through that trial. I don't want to go through it again but I got so close to him because he's all I had and I had to cling to him. That's the bitter sweetness of using that trial to get to know him better. Jesus says it like this. His last night with the disciples. Now this is eternal life. Now that's a big statement. We're getting ready to hear from Jesus what is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus says eternal life, life to the full, the life that is truly life, really starts to take place and form in your life the more you know your heavenly father know him as the only true god and know jesus whom he sent paul says it like this i want to know christ i want to know him and if i if i'm going to know him yes it's going to involve some suffering because otherwise i'm not going to go deeper on my own i'm going to try but i'm not going to get there as if i as i would when i'm going through a trial yes to know the power of his resurrection, that's Holy Spirit power, and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. We're not going to get to know him as deeply when times are good. I am purposely and proactively seeking to go deeper in my relationship with Jesus and my Heavenly Father every day. And, and life's good for me right now. I'm not slacking back on that. I want to dig. I want to go deeper. But even I have to admit that it's really in the difficult times when you have sifted away all the other distractions and he's all you have and you realize he's all you need. 
that's when I really start to get to know him. So I want to take just a couple of moments. I want to review a couple of stories that we looked at in the previous two discussions about this lead us not into temptation, lead us not into test. And then I want to talk about Job for a minute. And I want to show you that these men, they had to go through a trial to actually get to know who God is. And we'll start with Naaman. He was in the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 5. It's a great story. You should go back and read it because it is both comical and poignant. But Nathan is the top commander in the army of Syria. He's the top guy. He's famous. He's powerful. But he has leprosy. And as the story goes, he ends up in front of Elisha. Elisha tells him to go dip in the Jordan River seven times. He doesn't like that. He's indignant about having to dip in this muddy Jordan River seven times by this prophet. He, he wanted something grand, but he does eventually. And here's what he has to say. And I want you to notice what Naaman, what Nebuchadnezzar, two Gentiles, and then Job himself. Let's take a look at this. Just the finale. Verse 14, so he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God, that be Elisha, had told him and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman, this great general commander from Syria, and all his attendants went back to Elisha, the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know. Now I know that there is no God in all the world except Israel. He didn't know that before. He wasn't going to know that before. But his heavenly father, who had a plan for Naaman and loved him just the way he was as a Gentile unbeliever, but way too much to leave him that way, brought him through that trial, that test. And here's how what he concluded. Now I know. We see the same thing with Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, as you know, was the, the emperor, the king of Babylon. And in Daniel, we see his story. There's several stories, but this is the top guy in the world. And he has no interest in, in the God of Israel whatsoever. He's put through a trial. Daniel warns him that if you will stop parading around like you're the top guy in the world, that you're everything, if you'll humble yourself, you may avoid this trial. But he wouldn't. So he was sent off. He, was, he became insane, and he lived out in the woods as a wild man for seven years. But when he came back, here's what he had to say. Verse 34, Daniel chapter 4. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. That's the God of Israel. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Both Naaman and Nebuchadnezzar, two extraordinarily powerful men, didn't know God. And so God took them to a test, to a trial. And on the other end, they came to know him. So why do we, why do we, why do we experience trials? And what can we do with them? We can use them to get to know him better. Now, the story of Job is so well known. But what you may not have noticed is what happens at the very end, Job's conclusion, his summary, his, his epiphany about what actually happened to him. 
Job starts off, and I don't, I don't really understand the whole idea of this, what looks to be a cosmic wager between God and Satan, but there's some interesting things we can pull out of it. And when it comes to the idea of knowing God, you're going to be shocked at what Job had to say. Let's see how this story starts. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. Now, I would like for that to be said about me that I was blameless and upright. I feared God and shunned evil. Verse 6, One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, which is apparently his job, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Now listen to what God says about him. There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Let's read that again. There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Would you not like for God to say that about you? This man is pretty close to perfect, Job is. He's a man of God. He must be closer to God than anybody on the planet. But maybe not. So we move on with the story. Satan says, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. In other words, Satan says, you've blessed him so much. Of course he acts this way. Of course he loves you. The Lord said to Satan, very well then. Everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Now, I've got up here on the screen Satan on a leash because he is on a leash. He has to, apparently, reading scripture, he has to ask permission to attack you. He has to ask permission to come after you. That is very comforting to me. If he's coming after me, then I know my Heavenly Father has allowed him to do it. And if he has allowed him to do it, there's a reason. It's typically to go after my blind spots and yours. So God allows Satan, and Satan does attack him. And Job first responds like this, I wish I'd have never been born. That's what he says. I'm hurting so much. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He said, may the day of my birth perish and the night that said a boy is conceived. I wish I'd have never been born. That's how much I'm in pain. But now you can read through all the navel-gazing that happens with his friends that come to visit him. But when you get to the very end, you're going to see what Job learned through this test, through this trial. Now remember, this is a man who God says is blameless. There's no one like him in all the earth. He's blameless. He's upright. He shuns evil. He fears God. But here's what Job had to say after his experience, after his test, after his trial, after he was sifted. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. In other words, I, I thought I knew you. I thought I knew you. I was squeaky clean. I was doing everything right. You were just praising me over and over. But I really only knew about you. I didn't know you like I know you now. It's that same bitter sweetness that I talked about earlier. I wouldn't want to go through that again, 
but I wouldn't be where I am now. I wouldn't be as close to Jesus as I am now had I not gone through that trial. We want to embrace trials. We want to shift our perspective and say, I don't like it. I'm not going to parade around and act like it's fun, but I'm going to use it to know him better, to go deeper in my relationship so that when I get to the other side, I don't just get to the other side. I've learned. I've grown. I've probably shed some bad habits, and I'm deeper into the kingdom. That's why your Heavenly Father is going to allow tests and trials to come your way. That's why he may actually put you in one himself or certainly allow you to stumble into them. This is what Jesus is saying when he says, lead us not into tests and trials. In other words, Heavenly Father, let there be nothing in me that would cause you to lead me into those tests and trials. Now, finally, Jesus says on the last night with his disciples in John 15 about, about being the fruit and the vine. And one of the things we can do in our shift of perspective is realize that we will bear more fruit. Let's look at Jesus' words. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off, but the better phrase there is he lifts up. Not he cuts off, but he lifts up every branch in me that bears no fruit. Here's a branch that has fallen off of the trellis. It's in the dirt. It's getting no sunshine. It's not going to thrive. The gardener, your heavenly father, will come and lift you up and tie you back on the trellis. That might not be a fun experience. That's for the follower of Jesus who is bearing no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me is also remaining in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Jesus is saying, if you're bearing fruit already, I'm going to prune you so you'll bear more fruit. Just like any bush, he's using a, a live example here. He's looking at a vineyard in all likelihood, and he's saying, I want you to bear more fruit, and I've got to prune back the excess leaves that aren't necessary, that aren't helpful, that are, that are really getting in the way of your being more fruitful. I mean, vineyard, wine managers do the same thing every year. He's using an example. Your Heavenly Father is going to prune you. Because he wants you to bear more fruit. So now, let's go back to a lightweight life is never going to produce heavyweight results. A lightweight life is never going to produce heavyweight, heavyweight results. Again, let's finish with this. A lightweight life will never produce heavyweight results. And James tells us that in his letter in verse Chapter 1, verse 2 and 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. As I say so often, thank you, Father, for never giving up on me, and please never let up on me. Don't put me on the bench. Don't put me on the bench. Keep coming after me. Keep bringing the tests. Keep bringing the trials. If it's going to get me closer to you, if it's going to help me produce more fruit, keep it up. And let me conclude with this as we will then springboard over to and protect us, deliver us from the evil one. Let's think of this Jesus' statement as this. As you lead me into a test or you allow me to stumble into a test of my own making, which is typically the case, do not let a test become a temptation but rescue me from the evil one.
Do not let these tests become a temptation to doubt your Heavenly Father, to doubt his character, to doubt his perfect love. Instead, use them. Use these tests and trials. Don't run away from them. Use them to go deeper in his kingdom. Because there's more. You know it. Come and find it.